Hello and welcome to ESPN's The Far Post podcast. Uh, the Matildas are through to the third round of Olympic qualifying after defeating Chinese Taipei or Taiwan 3-0. Um, clearly, I am not Marissa Lordanik. Uh, she is off today. So you are just joined by me and Anna Harrington, the two best buds in the world, uh, to cover not just the game, but all, the, all three qualifiers and also talk about what's next for the Matildas. But before we crack it, uh, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording today, the Wiradjuri and Gadigal people, and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. So, Harrow, how are you going? Uh, it was a late one, another late kickoff uh, over in Perth. Um, but the gals, they got it done. A clean sweep, uh, no goals conceded over the three games, three goals against Chinese Taipei. What did you make of it? First of all, can we just note to listeners, the animals are running the zoo today. It's just me and Sam. <laughs> I want to rein us in. Uh, we're unstoppable. Uh, just the two of us. So I hope just people enjoy our dulcet tones, as if they don't hear enough of it already on the radio. <laughs> um, but yeah, fantastic. I actually quite like Tony Gustafson's comments on Network 10 after the match, which I thought um, were pretty accurate, that this is a really mature performance because mm. Taiwan defended so resolutely for so long and... Um, I think in the past we would have seen the Matildas go, like you could tell they were getting frustrated, understandably. The ball wasn't going in the back of the net despite peppering them with shots. But they didn't resort to long ball to Sammy, like mm. just hitting the hitting the high ones and hoping. Yeah, it took a moment of brilliance from Mary Fowler to, to break the deadlock. But once they did, the second and third goals followed pretty quickly. And Taiwan deserved a lot of credit for stopping it blowing out to sort of five. And those three goals, you know, They've clearly proved pretty important in the sense with with goal difference and that, right? Mm. So, I thought I thought a really you know obviously the Philippines game was so clinical and so explosive and electric, and this had all the bearings of being as frustrating as the Iran game. But to their credit, they they fought through it really well, and I think it shows maturity that yeah, sometimes you're not going to be able to score to the 60th minute. And geez, was it frustrating? I really don't want to take away from how frustrating it was. Like my partner was watching this on the couch with me and I was like, my little mind was losing it, especially. <laughs> I think about the third time Katrina Gore put a shot off target. Or, oh, my God. Um, yeah. People hit a ball safely into the arms of the Taiwan goalkeeper, who was fantastic. But, she was. Uh, but, yeah, that, I think it did show some maturity to to find a way to to break through. Yeah, maturity is is a, a really good word for it. I think um, that was the the feeling that I had coming off the back of it as well. Like I was very impressed with um, the commitment that the team had to continuing to play their game and continuing to knock on the door in lots of different ways. Because um, it was, I think, in that first half in particular, just a matter of accuracy on goal. Like they 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 had a billion shots and almost none of them were actually on target. And if they were on target, they went straight at the goalkeeper. So I think perhaps that was the halftime talk from Tony, like just keep doing what you're doing, um, but make sure that your shots are a bit more accurate and and make sure that you're actually putting them in the kinds of places that we need them to. So they did that, you know, as soon as sort of Mary Fowler was able to to break the deadlock just after the hour, you know, it was bam, bam, bam. And it was, it was all fine. Um, but that's, yeah, like I was thinking back to, some of the earlier games uh, that the Matildas played against Asian opposition and mm. how difficult it's always been for them to be able to break down a pack defence like this. Um, 
I'm glad that Taiwan uh, didn't resort to the whole sort of rolling around time-wasting um, bastardry that, that Iran did because that was yeah, particularly frustrating. Um, but I thought that, yeah, they they defended really well. Clearly they had a, a really clear um, game plan in order to try and minimise the damage as much as possible, and they did for an hour. You know, they were able to hold them out for an hour. Um, but ultimately I think the Matildas proved how far they've developed mm. in the ways in which they were able to finally start scoring goals um, because you're right, they didn't like there were some moments where they could have absolutely just resorted to the long ball to Sammy, but she was having a bit of an off game in the air, you know, and, and so, you know, perhaps by virtue of that as well, they were like, you know what, let's just try and keep doing what we're doing mm. and and, um, and see if it works and ultimately it did. And yeah, you just made me think of the obviously the South Korea game at the Asian Cup is the obvious one that comes yeah. to mind. And I think watching that game, I remember watching it when I was working at the Australian Open, you probably felt the same as me, Sam. In that game, it just felt like nothing was ever going to go in. I never felt yeah. confident of them scoring. I know there was a Sam Kerr big chance and all that. Whereas last night watching it, I was like, no, nah, the, the goal's going to come. As much as yeah. I was like tearing my hair out, I was like, I just felt the goals were going to come because the chances they were creating – I think the chances they were creating were a lot better than against Iran. Agreed. Um, like there were ones that uh, the Fowler one, you know, the short corner routine where she skied it well over the bar and there were a few other good chances. As you said, Sammy's timing in the air was off. I feel like Alana Kennedy's timing in the air has just been all off through these qualifiers. Hopefully she's just getting a few of them out of her system because she's normally so dangerous um, in those positions. And, you know, there were quite a lot of good chances that sort of went big. I mentioned Katrina Gorey. Um <laughs> Because I think she can be one of the main culprits when it comes to, I'm frustrated, I'm just going to hit the shit out of this, right? Um, and she was guilty of a few of those floaters um, to the to the goalkeeper as well. But, yeah, it, it felt like they were going to score. I felt very confident the whole way. And, um, yeah, but, my God, we got to talk about Mary Fowler, don't we? Like, Oh, my God, uh, yep. This is a Mary Fowler show, everyone. This is That's all is, we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to talk about for the next little while at least. Um and you know, credit to her because like the whole build up to this game was dominated by tabloids talking about her, you know, rumored new boyfriend, Nathan Cleary, and pans to him in the crowd and stuff like that. And that's that's a new experience. It's like, you know, Courtney Vines talked about her and Charlotte McLean being papped in the street um mm. by unnamed uh news organizations. We know that Sam Kerr gets scrutinized. So I imagine that would have been something different for for Mary Fowler to sort of take in her stride. Didn't affect her by the way she went out there. She, I thought she was the best player in the park from from go to woe. Um, yeah. She was sensational. That goal, though, so like, it's, yeah, just extraordinary. Sam, the way she, uh, the first touch was lovely to start with, but one she can just hit a ball so hard and so sweetly. But I loved how it nestled inside the side nettings. Like, yeah, yeah. But, Here's a bit of trigonometry for you, Taiwan. Like, just hits it into that side. I, I like sometimes her goal, and you know that shot she had in the first half that cladded off the woodwork, and I, yep. I still don't know how it didn't go in. The way she's able to hit a ball is it's just, just so beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? And you could like, of all the players in the Matildas, it was Mary Fowler who I had the most faith was going to score mm. a goal because, it, particularly in that first half, she had the, I think the more like convincing shots on goal than any of her teammates did. Um, and she, you could tell that she was getting like pissed off that none of them were going in because she was in such good positions for so many of them. But Taiwan was just 
like their th- defenders were throwing themselves in front of the ball every time. There was that sort of like double chance she had inside the box where she 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 struck the ball like near the penalty spot. It came off like one of the players' bellies and then it fell to her again and she hit it again harder this time and it's clanged off someone else and she sort of turned to them. The camera caught her being like, ah, like really annoyed that she wasn't able to And she's normally in. so serene as well, right? Yeah. Like normally you watch Mary Fowler and you it, it's like she's meditating on the pitch. Yeah. Um, and one of my favourite things, and she told us this at the World Cup, right, Sam, she, I think it was actually the France game before the World Cup, she's like, oh, I never really know how to celebrate. It sort of goes in yeah. and just throw arms up. And she did exactly that yesterday. <laughs> and it's just so wholesome. And she just looks like she's enjoying her football so much. But you know what I loved about that game, Sam, was it felt so complete to me. Like mm. the way she was, she probably could score more, system or whatever. But when I say complete, I mean, it was like the full package. Like she started on the left, she moved centrally. At times she was out on the right, but... When Taiwan had rare counterattacks, it was Fowler and um, Hayley Razzo did this a few times, to be fair, as well, getting back. Yeah. The way she nips away, she's so good one-on-one, not just when she has the ball, but in terms of winning the ball back. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the things that, you know, Tony and that had clearly wanted her to work on. She's a young player, right? You want her to, to sparkle and do all the fun stuff. But I think her work rate and the way she's improved that defensive side of the game, I know I touched on it the last couple of pods, is is just extraordinary. And it makes her such a good player, such a valuable player, like undroppable in my, mm. no one's undroppable. But when players are doing those little things, and we've seen in the past where, you know, the, the faith in players like a, a Tamiki Yellop, for example, like players doing those things is so valuable. And then when you've got Mary Fowler being the spectacular player that she is on top of all that, and she's 20. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's wild. Like, you think about it, like she shouldn't really be reaching her peak for another seven, eight years. Like, how good is this kid gonna get? And I don't even want to say kid because you talk to her and she speaks beyond her years, and she's mm. um, yeah, just just a stellar footballer, like entirely in her own right now. Yeah, that yeah. that left side, just saying, you know, credit credit to Gareth Taylor, right, Sam? It, it seems to suit her beautifully the way she can get into space and and make the ball work. I guess to to her beat. Yep, to, I mean, to be fair to Mary, like she could play pretty much anywhere in the in the midfield or up front, and I think Agreed. she could make that position her own. You know, she's that good, um, and she's she's just so beautiful to watch. Like she's got such balance and such understanding of her body in space that it just looks like she's moving through a different plane, you know, it, it's, it's just lovely. And I keep thinking back to that comment that Sam Kerr made, or was it earlier this year when she's like, Mary Fowler actually is like, is the best when it comes to shooting. She's the, she's got the best technique on both feet. She's the nah, most deadly. She said that, she said that this is two years ago. Two when years I did ago. that interview with her, she like, Mary had just come back into the squad and, you know, she'd barely been on the fringes before that. And I asked Sam about it. She goes, well, she's the best shooter in the squad, left yeah. foot, right foot. It doesn't matter. And I was like, Whoa, yeah. Sam Kerr saying that. But then we've seen all the evidence. Like, Sam, at this point, do you even know which is her natural foot? <laughs> no, like she's so, exactly. Like she's she's so potent and, and so fantastic with both feet, which is amazing. Like you don't really see that level of amb- ambidextrousness. I don't know if that's a word, but I've just invented it. Um, in in footballers, really, like not not to that extent, which is and considering her age, it's just it's yeah, she's extraordinary. She continues to blow my mind. Um, and yeah, like every she like every decision that she makes is the right one. I really like what you observed there, Harrow, as well about her her work rate off the ball because that's something that um Gustafson had identified. I think last year as saying something that needed work with Mary. 
Like she's got a lot of raw talent, but she just needs to have the work rate. She needs to have sort of the professionalism start to kick in. And even a couple of people on Twitter um, wrote to me during the game and, and noticed that this was something that Mary was doing really well as well. She was tracking back. She was defending one-on-one really well. Um, she was putting in that that extra mile. Uh, and that's what makes you a complete player, right? It's not just having the tricks and the, and the skills, but it's also doing the work for your teammates. And whether she's playing out left as a sort of like a false winger, whether she's playing centrally, whether, like no matter where she's playing, she she just continues to get better somehow, mm. which is kind of scary. Cause like how I'm like what is her ceiling? How do you how do you get better and better and better? Like it's it's she's a genuinely extraordinary talent. Like, yeah. and I'm glad that more and more people are are seeing this. And as you say, it's not just the goals and that sort of thing. She's so clearly well liked around that group, and it's mm. like when you see the TikToks or the Instagram posts that the Matildas put out, you know, whether they're all interviewing each other, and it's like who's the best trainer? You just hear. Mary, 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 Mary. Yeah. <laughs> like, so you 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 get out what you put in, right? And she had to bide her time at Man City and she's talked about how, you know, the maturing that involved and what sort of challenge that was. And it seems to have benefited it. And we talked last part, of course, about once you start getting that form at club level, it translates. And she was exceptional. Caitlin Ford, also very good, I thought, last night. Like, not mm. the way – I mean, it's hard to back up a – game where you score a hat-trick and assist four other goals right like but she clearly had a hand in at least two of them the the run for um Sam Kerr's goal and also for the one that Amy Sayer ultimately set up for Tamiki Yellow like both of Mm. them come off the back of Caitlin Ford she just you know I really like Sam the way that we're seeing the fluidity I think we talked before the World Cup about you know Caitlin Ford can play that central role with Sam Kerr and we saw how destructive she was in that role the other night and we know how destructive she is on the left but I really would like your thoughts on this. The way we saw the fluidity with which they all interchanged, Anna, we'd seen that in the past um, under Alan Stadich where you had the the wingers who were constantly moving and even Sam Kerr going central and out into the wing. So we knew these players could do this, but I think in this different system, it, it's been really interesting to watch how Fowler and Ford in particular have been able to adapt. And then with the players, Sam Kerr is always playing the same role, right? But with the players around them, watching the way that Ford and Fowler is in a newer edition of those players can interchange and still have an impact no matter where they are. Cause I thought that was a really interesting thing to watch last night. Yeah. The chemistry that the three of them have developed together has been pretty amazing. Um, I think the world cup has definitely helped with that and Mary sort of coming into her own and becoming a much more flexible kind of midfielder, I think has really helped in that as well, because she can play as that kind of creative number 10, but then as we're seeing, she can also kind of play as a bit of a winger too. And so Having those three players, Kerr, Ford and Fowler, being able to sh- sort of shapeshift in and out of each other's positions um, is such a weapon to have in 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 the arsenal of um, of the team. Um, and, you know, we've we've seen, you know, Sam Kerr started her career as a winger. We've seen Caitlin Ford play as a nine. We'd like, and they're all good at that. And I we saw a little bit of it last night against Chinese Taipei as well. Um, in part, I think, because they were getting a little bit frustrated. You know, they were being defended by five players most of the time, sometimes six when they didn't have the ball. Um, and they needed to change something up and they needed to have a different dynamic. They needed to have someone in a position where they were going to surprise one of the defensive players um, just to kind of change it up a little bit. And I I think it, it worked because you, they regularly sort of started to create more chances the more that they they interchanged. 
um, which is, yeah, which is great. And you you want to have that kind of flexibility, I think, in a modern football team. You're like having a, just a classic number nine, um, you know, which is like, obviously this is difficult to say considering it's Sam Kerr, but it's Sam Kerr is so much better because she's not just a classic number nine. She's one of the best number nines in the whole world. But what makes her so good is that she doesn't always play like one. She plays a little bit beyond the parameters of that. And that's what makes her so dangerous. It's what makes her so unpredictable. It's what makes her so difficult to defend against as well, because she sort of brings the experiences of all these other positions that she's ever played into this one role. Um, and I think it's similar to to Ford now as well, who is in the absolute form of her life. It's so I'm like of all the the Aussies, I'm I'm really bummed about who didn't get a, a look in for the Ballon d'Or recently. It's Caitlin Ford because I really Mate, think that apparently she's not in the top thirty players in the world. So when, I guess she plays just tennis. Ridiculous. She's plays like tennis or something during the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> like come like, on, she, FIFA. Like she I know we're buying carried when Sam Kerr went out in that top thirty. When when Sam Kerr got the the calf injury on the eve of the tournament, it really was Caitlin Ford that carried the mm. Matildas through those first couple of games. Like Hayley Rasso was excellent, but it really it was it was Caitlin Ford. The Matildas wouldn't have got as far as they did if it wasn't for Caitlin Ford. So the fact that she wasn't even glimpsed at by I she did to someone at crazy. FIFA, like yeah, right. Yeah, I know she has those really indignant looks. Um, I, I'm really <laughs> torn between who I find funnier when things don't go their way. Caitlin Ford or Steph Catley. I think Catley's the funniest <laughs> because she's so like professional and cool headed. And then as soon as things don't go away, you see her just get a bit like meep, 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 meep. and uh Carpenter's the same as well. But yeah, I was gonna say Ellie Carpenter's the funniest. Yeah. Carpenter does the little like talking behind the referee's back, which is very funny. And but... like the funny little like what? Like faces. Yeah, and the, the camera what? always then, like, catches them. It's so good. It's like you know when you your parents tell you off and you when you're fighting with your siblings and then it unites you and you just go when they go out of the room it's a little bit like that um uh, I I can't help but stop laughing when you see it but Steph Catley had a few of those moments last night where she goes what I didn't kick it out (laughs) and then you see a few f-bombs get dropped I I love it it's she doesn't mind a a cheeky f-bomb Steph Catley um yeah but you know I love I really liked about Sam Kerr's game and I think we talked about last pod as well Sam she really did all the work off the ball as per usual. Like it was a really industrious game. So I was glad that it did get capped off with a goal, but geez, um, you know, what really excited me though was the third goal. It's when Sam Kerr's gone mm. off. She's had the tap in and obviously there's the run from, um, from Ford, but the presence of mind from Amy Sayer, yeah. um, not to go for the impossible shot, like to think, no, no, if, if I square, if I square, if I cut this back, there'll be someone there. And of course, it's Tamika Yallop because, and I love that Tamika Yallop scored this because we know her history as a player is as that attacking midfielder, semi striker sort of player, almost mm. false nine, golden boot winner in the W League in the past. She will be in those spots. Like when Mary Fowler scored that wonderful goal against France before the World Cup, Tamika Yallop was there ready for the crumbs if they had gone anywhere else, right? Yep. She's very good at being in the right place at the right All time. All reliable, she is. Great. A great reward for being such a utility, I think. Mm-hmm. Like she's had to play what left back, right back, uh, anywhere on the wing, defensive midfield, wherever they need her. But um, that was fantastic for her. But I loved it for Amy Sayer. And it was a little bit of a mum moment. Um, credit to my, my partner, pal, for this, pointing out that Tamiki Allen, when she scores a goal, she goes to Amy Sayer and goes gives her the point and goes, good job. Like, <laughs> Which is very sweet. And Bless. we've talked about Amy Sayer. I think over these three games, she's shown she's more than up to the level. And yeah. For me, it has to be in that mix. I know they're going to have to cut players 
Um, you know, if they qualify for Paris, they're going to have to cut players. But I think the case she is mounting is yep. is really, really, really exciting. I, I love, I thought what we saw a little bit of last night was her one-on-one ability that she can sort of mm. dance on the ball as well. She had a few tricks up her sleeve that I think maybe people didn't see coming. The, the skill on a couple of the balls that she put in, she's very um, brave as well going in for the high balls and, you know, to be fair, we've mentioned the Taiwan goalkeeper and she was fantastic at putting her body on the line. But against plenty of other goalkeepers, Saya could easily have, have scored a header. She was, yep. I just think she's going from strength to strength. And once the first goal comes, it's all happening, I reckon. Yeah, I'm I'm so impressed with Amy Saya. And what, I, what I'm particularly impressed by is how much faster she's gotten in the last couple of years. Because she's kind of like, she's been a bit off the radar when she's been playing at Stanford and now she's playing at Sweden. Not really people sort of watch her at club level. Um, but anyone who watched her when she was back in in the dub at in Camry United, for example, she wasn't the fastest player. She kind of had a bit of a Rachel Lowe about her. She was very technical. She had good vision, but she just wasn't quite up to the speed. She, doesn't have, she didn't have the explosiveness. She wasn't really... Um, as nippy as as what we've seen over these games. And I think that goal and her reaction to the ball trickling across the goal mouth in order to to get there and clip it back for Tamiki Art for that third goal is um, really indicative of how much stronger and faster um, she's become since, uh, at, particularly at club level. I think it's one of the great benefits of training somewhere like Stanford University where they've got a fantastic sort of um, physical education program, right? She's got access to gyms and physios and all that sort of stuff. So she's really become quite an athlete over the last few years, which is really, really good to see. And you're right, like she she seems to have a lot of confidence in herself mm-hmm. now, which I don't think she necessarily had in the past. And maybe that's by virtue of how good her performances have been over these three outings, you know, like she's actually like, yeah, you know what? I can actually do this. Um, and Tony's talked about how she just missed the cutoff for the world cup. Yeah. So she, clearly she's been in and around this level for quite a while now. Um, but I'm so thrilled that we've been able to see her, over these games, I think you're right. I think she probably goes to Paris if we're able to get past Uzbekistan. And another player I think should join her is Claire Wheeler. I think Claire Wheeler has been so excellent over these three games. Um, the way that she was able to sit in that midfield alongside Kyra Cooney-Cross and Katrina Gorey, who I think a lot of us thought that's a that's a midfield pairing that's never going to be broken. But I think Claire was able to find the right spot to fit in that little duo. And she was able to... Um, used her skills to her benefit, which is like being that box-to-box kind of player. Yep. She came and covered for um, for Steph Catley a couple of times. She came and covered for Claire Hunt a couple of times um, when when Taiwan did have a bit of a breakaway. You know, she was everywhere, buzzing everywhere all the time. And she, yeah, she, she really didn't give up. She was slide tackling everywhere. She was trying to thread passes everywhere. She was getting up and in into the box and dribbling around and trying to set up chances. Like, she was just excellent. Another player who I think has really, really benefited from going overseas, playing with Everton, oh, having definitely. that having that experience and, and being moved around a little bit in terms of their squad too. So those two players I think have been sort of the, like these three games have been for them, I think. Yeah, they've been the highlight, right? And Willa, I think the word that I hear on commentary that I really like for Claire Willa is tidy. Like she's a really tidy player. You know what mm. you're going to get. She doesn't make many mistakes. Um, she just is such a workhorse. The thing with Sayer as well, it was interesting. I, I saw her, sp- she spoke to the media in Perth and basically attributed that missing out on the World Cup to her decision to cut her cut her time at Stanford short and go to Sweden because she was saying she always felt like it took her time to get up to speed when she came into camp. 
And now having been in Sweden, because I think that athletic side of things would have been huge playing in the US, but now mm. there's the technical side, there's the training, there's decision-making, like playing alongside experienced pros. Because at the end of the day, um, as good as the college system is, it is an amateur system, right? Which is yes. different. You're not you're not playing against, <clears throat> one of a better word, like women, grown women, senior yeah. bodies. You hear it talked about a lot in the men's game and it's just as relevant in the women's game. You're not playing against... 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds anymore. You're playing against hardened bodies and you're only going to get better for that. And, yeah, I think she and Wheeler were clearly the two standouts. I love that um, I, I thought we were going to see Charlie Grant straight away. But yeah. Wheeler has clearly made herself, like, impossible to ignore. And we know that she played a little bit at left wing back at Everton as well. And, you know, she did a credit to herself. Um, I think Grant gave that extra bit of explosiveness and speed that the Matildas needed in that second half. But... You can see her touch is a little bit off, a little bit loose. She's mm. very chaotic, but um, yeah, you know the the difference there between her and an Ellie Carpenter across the first two games. I think I think you could see, but it's good to have that competition, right? And we we love Charlie Grant. I think when she hits form and confidence, she's a really dangerous weapon. Um, but yeah, there's a lot to like. But should we should we throw forward a bit, Sam? Yeah, let's throw forward uh, because the other news that came off the the back of the Matildas win is that uh, the other games were also decided. They went right down to the wire as well. Um, so looking across the other groups, uh, the the three other teams who are progressing through to the final four or the semifinals are North Korea, not South Korea, North Korea, remember them, Uzbekistan and Japan. Uh, so the way that the draw is shaken out is that Australia, as the team who has finished at the top of all of those teams in terms of goal difference, will be taking on Uzbekistan, who were the best-placed runner-up, while Japan will face North Korea uh, in the home and away leagues uh, in February. And Sam, doesn't that show how important breaking through yesterday right. was? Like, yep. crucial. Like, I think a lot of people don't realise, because we don't see them play very often, North Korea are very good. They as are. you can see from their result against China, right? They beat China, they drew with South Korea. The possibility of going doing Pyongyang away wouldn't have thrilled um, the Matildas, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> would have been a great story, though, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Try and get media accreditation for that. <laughs> I thought um, before we talk about Uzbekistan, I thought I think it was um, Andy Harper maybe made a great point on in the analysis that what the Taiwan game showed last night was the biggest loser to come out of that was the Philippines, and I think it would yeah. probably have been a real learning experience for Mark Torcaso and his team there, where and guys, you can listen back to our pod from the Philippines game. Like, you know, the Matildas beat them 8-0, whereas Iran 2-0, Taiwan 3-0. And at the end of the day, they missed out on a runner-up spot, really on goal difference, right? So a learning experience, um, you know, hubris gets the better of us. So I think the, the pride and wanting to really show what they could do in terms of playing was, you know, admirable and bold, but it probably was costly in the end, right? Mm. Like, they they got really, really smashed by Australia. Yeah. And it's probably the, the difference between qualifying to that next round and when you've got home and away, who knows what can happen, and uh, going out at this stage. But do not envy Japan or North Korea playing each yeah. other. I feel like this is the best. I feel like we've not been able to say this about draws for a long time, Sam. Yeah. This feels like the best possible result. Yes. For the Matildas. Absolutely. Uzbekistan away and then Uzbekistan at home. And I <clears throat> I particularly love that, you know, I think all of us, you know, think 2005, like, you know, two-legged playoffs. You want to play the second one at home. Mm. Go and get a result away, then bring it home. I'm sure there will be people clamoring for the MCG. We will see what happens there. But 
it seems like the best possible result in terms of qualification, right? Yep, absolutely. Um, I don't think anyone really knows very much about the Uzbekistan women's national team. Um, we can look at their past results and they've, they, you know, they're pretty, they're okay. You know, they've defeated some, some teams who maybe you didn't expect them to defeat. Um, and the fact that they've obviously got through to the final four of this phase is, um, is really telling. Uh, so I'd be really curious to, to watch this team and to learn a little bit more about them and to, um, to discover whether this is a nation who's kind of on the rise in that part of the world as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's the it's exactly what we would have wanted. I think if we had the choice, this is probably the 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 pick of the lot, right? Um, North Korea against Japan is going to be an amazing game. I really, really hope there's a live stream of it um, because not only are Japan just amazing to watch, but we haven't watched North Korea for a long time. Um, they've been off the radar for the last four years. They've been unranked by FIFA because they hadn't played a game, uh, and now they're back. And historically, North Korea are a very, very good team. They, you know, they won Asian Cups in the past. Uh, we had to defeat them in 2010 in the final of the Asian Cup to win it, even. So um, they're a really good team. They're a really interesting story, obviously. Um, and this this home and away leg against Japan, I think, is going to be um, really, really exciting. So, yeah, I just I, I love the drama, I suppose, of the the final match day of this whole qualification phase, where uh, both South Korea and China had the chance to to top the group, um, but they played each other in the final game and drew one one, and by virtue of that, they knocked each other out. <laughs> Which is great times, classic hits. Yeah, exactly. It's the way that this stuff goes sometimes, right? Um, there's some currently some very interesting permutations happening over in Europe as well, in terms of England and Scotland. Anyone who's seen Sorry, my tweet you mean about it can uh, very funny permutations. Very Sam. funny permutations. That's right. Yeah. Uh, uh, yes. So there's a yeah. Keep an eye on that one as well. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think that this is this was a really great window. Um, mm, I, I agree. Think we learned a lot about the Matildas, I think, in this window than that maybe we we didn't expect to. Um, and now we're sort of heading into this this home and away playoff um, leg uh, in February, and hopefully we're going to be able to uh, capitalize on the Taylor Swift energy and uh, stuff a hundred thousand fans into the MCG. Who knows? That'd that'd be pretty cool. I was talking about amazing. it with my boss yesterday. I was like, oh, the MC is not great for watching football. But, geez, it, it looked pretty bloody good with 60,000 at Optus the other day, 100,000 yeah. watching the Tillies. And we know Melbourne's pretty feral. I'm very proud of how feral we get <laughs> as a crowd. So if anyone could bring the feral to a, an oval, it's it's Melbourne. So if they get it up, that would be pretty extraordinary. Um, at the end of the day, I just want them to do whatever is best from a competitive advantage uh, point but yeah I, I agree with you Sam I think it's been a fantastic window clean sheets all round I love that Lydia Williams got the run in the second half yesterday yeah. um, in front of you know she's from WA as, as well so in front of that sort of home crowd I know Melbourne's very much home for her now but you know obviously has ties to WA um, most players got a run we saw a couple of players really break through defense never really looked threatened or the goalkeepers really never had to make any saves um, yeah it's exciting Really, really, really pleasing. I think the one thing we still don't know, Tony Gustafson, is he going to be there? He's, mm. He spoke, I saw him get asked on Channel 10 about it, and he's still dodging it because obviously he is in the mix of that US job, right? He said he has unfinished business, but he didn't straight up, you know, the, I don't know if you saw it, Sam, the question was, will you still be here for the um, for Paris if they make it? And he sort of went, eh, I've got unfinished business. So, mm. you know, hinting at, He'd like to be here, but obviously he's clearly got a couple of things going on. I feel like the most likely thing will be that he'll stay. 
and go through to the end of this Olympic cycle. Yeah, but I mean, it's hard to argue, argue right? Like he's he's kind of he's he's done pretty well, and if like, done very what, well, what's the, what are his what are his KPIs? Like, let's have a look at his, at his job plan. Uh, whip out the the pen and see how many boxes he's actually ticked over the course of his tenure. Like a fourth place finish at Tokyo. Uh, yes, the Asian Cup was a bit of a hiccup, uh, and then a fourth place finish at the World Cup. You know, like I I can't really imagine that there are many reasons to get rid of him. Um, but I'm also not sure when his contract uh, like officially ends, whether it's before the, the Olympics, Olympics cycle. or the end of the Olympics. I thought I think, it was the end of the Olympics I think it's well. the end of the Olympics, but I think it's very much like when you qualify for a, if you do or don't qualify for, you know, Graham Arnold's contracts are up until the end of the World Cup cycle. If you don't qualify for the World Cup, you usually, mm. that's it. <laughs> like yeah. it seems to be that, that sort of cycle. Um, but anyway, we shall see. Sam, can I ask you very quickly on the buzz topic of the week before of we, we go? Signs in the crowd. Mm. Can I have your shirt? Or how do you feel about them? We have, we've talk, of course, talking about it was a good piece by friend of the pod, Isabel Coots, talking about referencing in England, there's been, you know, people saying, oh, you know, the players didn't say hi to me or, you know, everyone having the. We saw in uh, Perth over the last few days a lot of people having the, the signs up saying, Hayley Razo can have your shirt. Sam Kerr can have your shirt. Da, yeah. da, da. And clearly some players, Sam Kerr, there, there was some good vision where she, she clearly decides ahead of time she's going to give the shirt to someone and then just looks around and picks someone. Mm. Um, but how do you feel about it? Because there's clearly, the, you know, there's clearly a couple of schools that some people like it and others go, see a tool of trade. It's, you know, it, do we need these expectations on play? I, I lean more towards this where I don't like the expectation that seems to be getting put on some players to give up kits. And mm. it seems like... There is a lot of it now. Yeah, I agree. I, I just from a practical point of view, like these players don't have an unlimited amount of jerseys. They don't have an unlimited amount of boots. Like, yeah, they've got sponsors, but they don't have that many. And, you know, they these are mementos for them too. Like these are games that mean a lot to these players and they want to have a jersey that commemorates that going forward. So expecting them to just easily part with these items, I think, is um is unreasonable. I understand why people are so passionate about it. Oh, for sure. But at the same time, like you do really need to understand what these things are for the players themselves. Like a lot of these players have come into football and then come into the the Matildas, you know, having been through like semi-professional football where they had to keep hold of their kids because they had to give their kids the kids back to the kit manager because they didn't have any spares like they had to recycle and rewash their kits because they were the only ones that were left so like I I do think it's there is this kind of uh, creeping sense of almost ownership over athletes in women's football these days and maybe that's just by virtue of how public they are they're representatives of their country and we have this deep emotional connection with them um and it's it's starting to get to the point where I think players are feeling very guilty or are being made to feel guilty by fans who have this kind of entitlement or this sense of um oh like I saw you give your shirt away to this person Mm. last year why aren't you giving it to me type of thing I think that needs to settle down a little bit um I think and also like when you think about the value of jerseys, like the actual monetary value of jerseys, mm. they like these match jerseys are quite they're expensive. Collectors items because they're collectors they have the coat items. Of arms as exactly, well. they've got the coat of arms. They've got usually a particular um, inset of the game that's being played on it yeah, as they well. Do. Yeah, um, these games. So the like, I understand that they're collectors items, but like 
sometimes these players donate these items for auctions to raise money mm. for really good causes. Or they, or they might want to swap shirts. Or they might want to swap shirts. Alex exactly. that yesterday. Exactly right. Yeah. So, like, they belong to the players first. And so the players have and and should be given the, uh, the, the opportunity and the freedom to choose what they do with those shirts. And if that mm. means not giving them to someone in the crowd, then so be it. Because, like, in terms of the, the hierarchy of priorities, you know, fans in the crowd are pretty low down the list, I think, when it comes to, to these kinds of moments. Um, mm. And also, like, like, what's wrong with just getting a selfie? What's wrong well, with having your sign signed? I saw... What's wrong with, you know, other, other bits and pieces that you can collect from the players to commemorate the fact that you were there and you met them? You don't need something of them in order to experience that kind of relationship and that connection. And I agree completely, Sam. And I did see, I think it was um, a friend of the pod, Tim, who um, is very active with us on Twitter, pointed out, um, I think a couple of others did as well, maybe a good move. You can even put a sponsor logo on it. You give out the little balls. Like you, I know the yeah. AFL teams are very active with this. And that is something that can be signed, um, that it's something that can be given away if you want that sort of thing. But, yeah, um, seeing some, I love seeing some of the kids that were like, oh, my God, I got a selfie with Sam Kerr. Like that's cool. Yeah. That stuff is awesome. Um, and we have seen clubs, I think it was Copenhagen, that banned these signs mm. um, in the crowd, like the can I have your shirt. Mm. Um, and it's not just kids that you see. You're seeing adults putting these um, these signs up as well. Um, I, I like that if players want to, they can give away their shirt, but I don't like the idea that they should ever have to feel pressured to. Yeah. Uh, I think it's actually starting to lean more towards that because it was a feeding frenzy with some of those scenes. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it, it does make me uncomfortable. And yeah, yeah I, I'd like to see the players feel comfortable. And, you know, it, it does get sort of amplified by broadcasters or even, you know, our friends at the Matildas putting it on social media. You see, you know, two fans playing rock, paper, scissors for Kyra Cooney Cross's jersey, or you see vision mm. of if I put up this sign, someone's going to do it, then of course you're going to have the copycat thing, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just, they're not doing themselves any favors in terms only, of using it as good marketing. The Tillies are only going to get bigger, yeah. and that's the thing. And you never want to get to a position where um, that access sort of gets cut off because it is too big or the mm. expectations are too high from fans because otherwise, as I've seen people make the point on Twitter as well, you can end up with a situation where it's like the Premier League or whatever where the access is. Yeah, at arm's remote. length. You can sort of only wave from 10 yeah. metres away. Like I think a lot of people don't realise how lucky we are that the players still do make themselves so accessible in terms of things like signing and mm. photos and that sort of thing. They're not removing themselves altogether. So I think it's just knowing where that that line is. And, yeah, credit to Isabel Coots for really, I think, starting the, the conversation well on that because I think based on the response, a lot of people were feeling similarly uncomfortable, uncomfortable or, conflicted yeah. or conflicted by it. Because, um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to see how many people are getting around the Matildas um, but I don't think those people wouldn't be getting around the Matildas if they didn't think there was a shirt on the line, you know? Mm, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. yeah. But anyway, great to see great crowds for all three of those games. The support yep. as well. And three sellouts, out. which is Hopefully, a fabulous way to to end the year, right? Like it's been a cracking yeah, year. Well, they're off to Canada for their tiny game in the 6,000-seater, Sam. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sellout isn't quite as impressive when it's 6,000 seats. We would have loved that 10 years ago, um, yeah. but uh, not now. But. Yeah, hopefully this is what we see leading into the, the A-League women's season. Hopefully Courtney Vine's hamstring isn't too serious and she can put herself back in, in contention again, in, in the mix again pretty soon. And, yeah, hopefully some of these crowds and the TV audiences that enjoyed those games in Perth get stuck into the dub now. 
that's it. So that's uh, that's the final home window for the Matildas now in Australia. Uh, as you said, they're going to be closing out the year with two games against Canada, which is the uh, the inverse of the two games that Canada came across uh, to Australia to play uh, last year, last uh, late last year, earlier this year. Can't quite remember. Um, last year, Sam. It was last, last year. year. Gosh, remember last year? Remember I the barely Canada do. Series? Oh, yeah. Let's not look back. Exactly right. <laughs> Um, but that, that these up, upcoming Canada games are actually going to be quite important because they are mm. going to be the final games uh, at international level for Canada captain and absolute all-time footballing legend Christine Sinclair. Um, so though they will uh, presumably be uh, shown on 10-play uh, Paramount Plus, the same kinds of spots that all Matilda's games have been shown on recently. Um, and, yeah, it'll be a, a really nice way, hopefully, to cap off what's been an unbelievable year for the Tillies of 2023 heading into uh, 2024 and all of the uh, trials and tribulations that that year will bring. Uh, and as always, we will be right here in our living rooms uh, chatting about it all with you, for you, um, because of you. So thank you everyone so much for listening uh, to this episode, for listening to us this year as well. Uh, it's been an absolute whirlwind for a lot of people in women's football and the Matildas have yeah, they've blown even our expectations out of the water, I think. So um, thanks again. Um, and, uh, well, uh, I don't know how Marissa usually ends this. Yeah, uh, no, no. Keep on tuning in to us. Uh, find us on ESPN or your favourite podcast platforms. Um, we're at the Far Post Pod on various social media. Um, as Angela posted yesterday, we've nominated for Best Podcast and Best Coverage of a Sporting Event at the ASC Media Awards. So Fingers crossed you can't vote for anything, but, you know, we'll see what happens there. Just send you good vibes. Appreciated the people sending good vibes on social media. Um, Catch us all on our various social media. But as Marissa would say, until next time, sockers.